This is the Quadrants of Mental Health podcast with Dr. AJ. Um, you know, ADHD, you know, a lot of times, you know, I've had a lot of clients misdiagnosed because the parent will go to the doctor, excuse me, the physician, the pediatrician, you know, instead of taking it through a process. Now, I've read the DMS. And in the DMS, it really says before you can diagnose a person, you got to look at them a minimum of six months over their lifetime. Six months to two years, you got to look at, get data, and then you can make that diagnosis. But we're quick to make the diagnosis now so we can write a subscription. You know, um, you were going to say something? Well, I was talking about like identity and people not even asking, not even knowing to ask themselves the question that they didn't even conceive of. Yeah. And the, the, the part of the of the neurofeedback biofeedback story was I contacted Don Perez, Dr. Don Perez at Biofeedback Works in Herndon, Virginia, because mm -hmm. I was on this trajectory of trying to figure out why are these trauma recovery processes, where are they? How do you find them? And why have I never heard of it before? Mm -hmm. So I contacted Dr. Perez and she very graciously gave me a, um, a uh, she gave me a cue. They call it the QEEG. It's, it's called the cue. And they, they, they look at five brainwaves. They look at delta, alpha, theta, beta, high beta. Okay. Five brainwaves. She did me a wonderful favor to not make me come back in two weeks because she knew that I was doing this research and trying to understand things. And she, so she went ahead and turned my, my, she went ahead and did the analysis, but she came back and she said, Charlie, very interesting. And she has a piece of paper and she says, so would people that know you describe you as obsessive? And I started to say, no. And I remember saying no. And then it was almost like watching the Bare Naked Ladies song with opening to the Big Bang Theory on the, the on the on the snapshots of, of human of human existence, mm -hmm. it was a snapshot of every single instance almost that I was probably obsessive and never even stopped to think of. I was unconscious the fact that anyone else that knows me says that. And mm -hmm. My friends in law school said, "Charlie, you're never ending." Yes, and I I did, and even to today, because you want to know, I'm not sure that I understand it. Right. You know, I might have the, the consciousness now that I'm not going to go back and get them. But um, my point was that we don't, we do not, we're not taught in our society to stop and take the a breath and try to find out who we are. Right, and we're also we're so focused on egoic definition. I want I I am who I think you think I am. Right, I'm a lawyer. What does that mean today? We talked about communication earlier. Exactly. So what do I need to do to communicate to you so that you understand, so that I think that you know that I'm a lawyer, right? Right. Or all these other, what and, and all these identities, and that's what our, all, of the, all of the advertisements are about tying in, are about tying into those, those desires for identity mm -hmm. that we don't even conceptualize that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was just wanted to tell that story about this, even me having this process of, wait a minute, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And oh my God, I'm doing that. I never even knew. Right? And I'll be, I'll be 40 in March. And I'm not saying that I'm old, uh -huh. but I've had enough time and I've had, you know, 14 years of a, of a professional career, you know, and, and until you stop to actually do some of, some of these, these questions, ask some of these questions, ask questions and do the work. Right. Right. You, right. You, you've done a lot of work. I've, I've done a lot of work, you know, yeah. on yourself, um, going through that journey and asking the questions and, you know, sometimes you have to be that way, you know, not because you want to know, you know, because I'm that way to a degree, too, because I, I ask a lot of questions because I want to know. 
you know, why did you make that decision? Well, what, 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 was, what were you thinking at that time? You know, and it helps me to understand processes. I always say I talk about change occurs through a process, and the process will dictate the outcome. Right. So if you think about where you are today and where you want to be, what's, what's the process you want to put in place to get to the outcomes that you want? Right. You know, otherwise, you know, those labels are there, and you say, well, I have to live up to this label. I have to be who you think I am versus who I need to be. Um, I ask this question a lot of times when I do parenting work and working with couples and um, individuals, and uh, especially with parents, I say, what is your number one job as a parent? And a lot of times people say, my job is to provide or protect. I say, no, your number one job is to take care of their mother and take care of their father. And that's self-care, your mind, your body, your spirit. And I've added finances lately because that's a major stressor for a lot of people. And when you fail to take care of yourself, that's when the damage comes in relationship with everybody. And I say, who wins when you grow? I'm looking at you now and how much growth you had. I don't know how, how long was this journey for you to get to this point? Was it a year, two years? How long have you been doing the research and doing the work? as far as therapy so and things for yourself. That's a, I'll, I'll answer that question. And I would say that it was, um, yeah, before you can start the work, the theory is that you need to re-embody. Yes. I um, I had I suffered from migraines from a 2004 car accident where I broke my ankle and I never got sent to physical therapy. Oh, wow. And I was a heavy weightlifter um, and uh, I developed migraines right before I turned 30. Um, so it was like maybe maybe 2012, 2013, before that actually they started. But they got to be, I would have a migraine once every two weeks to two to three days at a Ooh, time. Wow. It was chronic. Um, there were actions in my life that I would say no to if I mm -hmm. was going to have a headache. Um, and I, You knew you were going to have a headache? Yeah, you, I could feel it. I could feel that it was, it, this is about, this is going to turn into a migraine. It's going to, oh, I, wow. I knew where it would start and go over my left ear, into my left eye. And if it got real bad, I would lose, lose peripheral vision in my left eye and I would get frame rate tracking in my vision. Oh, which wow. means if I turn my head to the side, it would be chunky. Um, I found out that going to the chiropractor would would um, relieve some, would, it would not relieve the pain, but it would cause the uh, recovery period to be one day instead of three. Okay. So eventually she told me, Charlie, I can't adjust you anymore. You need to go. I think you should try golfing. And so... Before I continue this story, let me tell you, I was a computer science major before I became a lawyer. And I think what pushed me into all this stuff is I'm, I'm a problem solver. Right. I don't like to handle just the symptoms of things. I want to fix the problem. So now we go to, to me going to the chiropractor to try to work on my migraines. Right. And I had some trouble with my neck when I was a kid, so I had a reason to believe that maybe it was that kind of perpetuated. Called up the Rolfer, it's, and it's been started by Ida Rolf back in the 50s, I believe. There's a college in Boulder. I knew nothing, had never heard of it, yeah. and, and didn't know. So we actually I have in, one in this building. That's amazing. Um, so I went, and, and they cured me of migraines. And it wasn't the fact that it wasn't this childhood belief, the, the, this issue that I dealt with. Yeah. It was because of the car accident. And I'm wow. walking around the table in my skivvies, doing shallow knee bends, and raising my arms. And the, my, my practitioner, Stephen Waddell of, um, of Rolfing Systems VA, mm -hmm. looked at me and said, Charlie, when did you break your ankle? And I said, I didn't put that on my health. I didn't put that on my intake. Oh, wow. I said, I, six or eight years ago, but it's fine. Uh, he said, no, that's a reason for your migraines. And he explained that, that I was something? breaking midline. So that's kind of the beginning. And, and because of wow. all the things, my, my parents were very good. We had to be Eagle Scouts to drive. My, was my father's requirement, my mom required 
plus the, to, to play two instruments, piano being one and sing. So I play piano, alto saxophone, and I'm a vocalist. What? And so there's all this breadth of knowledge that and experiences that my parents were really, really good about 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 indoctrinating, right. indoctrinating me and my brothers into, uh -huh, right? Uh -huh. And so this idea of everything's connected and it's a process. It and is. That, and, that, and that was the telling, recognizing that the way I was breaking midline on my right ankle that when I was squat down was the it's reason I had migraines. Yeah, yeah, but it made sense because yes. I knew exactly what you were saying, and, I, and it made sense because I remembered when the knot in my back under my scapula started when I was waiting tables during law school right. and trying to get the and, and so it all just made sense. Trauma. Right, that's trauma. trauma. So right, and so then that's where me starting to put the, those ideas together, and then I herniated my back. Um, like seven years ago, oh, and I, wow. that's when I found uh, Centered Richmond with Megan Hodge for acupuncture and mechanical dry needling. So cure, I got cured of that through this oh, other thing. Goodness. And so then in 2017, I started going to see a cognitive behavioral therapist because I was struggling. I've been practicing, my office had been open for nine or ten years and practicing law for a while. And I, even though on the outside people would say that I was successful, there was I was dealing with some demons. Right. Um, and most of those demons were that I would misbehave the same way routinely. Okay. And I now see them. I would have reactions. Right. I would have reactions to to, to, to my to my trauma triggers. Um, and I it just the the consequence or the negative thing and the shame that I poured on myself. Right. For misbehaving once again, like oh. Don't you know how to behave? Why do yes. you keep doing this? Yes. And so then the negative self-talk, right? So I found a guy, um, this is a little personal for me, so I won't share his information, even though he probably was probably one of the most, created the most change in my life. Mm -hmm. Got me to this, this good take, well, actually I do share it. His name's Ted Petracci. I'm writing a book right now, and okay. I, I mentioned him, so no okay. reason not. Ted Petracci, and it was amazing. He taught me things that I didn't know that I didn't know. Um, and it got me to understand that while I'm smart and educated and all these other things, I had not been taught how to mind my mind, right? And, and I, so, I used to call it mind your business, right? But I didn't you know, know how. I didn't, yeah. and I and I and then I was I had this incredible power being in a position of of, of responsibility that I have, exactly. You know, and I'm holding people. You you you're trying to help people. You know, right. these people are getting ready to spend a couple decades in prison, prison, or yes. they're going to lose their kids. All these things. I mean, if you are running into the people in your absolute, you understand what I mean? Oh, yeah. The absolute worst, worst situation in their worst life. Worst situation right? in, in their life. Right. That's what I need all the time. Right. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. You and, yes. and you and I are, and so having that and then going through the, and then having that day new mom moment, uh -huh. I remember the day that I was looking at Ted, and this is in my book, and, uh, and I'm like, oh my God, if I continue to work on fixing what the actual problem is, I don't know who I am. Because everything about me is weapons and armor. Right. Everything about everything. me is weapons and armor. And I was terrified that day. Yeah. And I remember just staring off into space as he was, I would, what I would do is I would, um, so I would plan my, I would, I would schedule the, 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 psych, the psychology visit. But I realized quickly that when you went there and, and Ted would say, Charlie, how was your day? I'd, or how was your week? And I'd sit down and I'd say, well, you know, it was, it was a normal week. At that point in time, life was very, uh, chaotic for me and so I just you know, it's just, just normal yeah and so I, I adopted this strategy of, of, of in my phone putting having two lists the problems and holy essentially wow right yeah I call it something different. okay um, but the problems were every time that week that I became unsettled 
to whatever extent I was unsettled, but unsettled. And I would have six or eight a week. Wow. And it got to the point that I'd walk in, Ted would say, Charlie, how are you going? i say, sit down, shut up, we've got work to do. Okay. Right? And I'd, I'd give the list. But here's what happened this week. But that's consciousness to you. But the beautiful thing was he was then able to say, Charlie, you only have eight problems. you got one problem that showed up eight times. Right. And that's what was happening. Right. And that was the... Yes. But, yeah, it's but it's becoming consciousness to you, though. Right, you even write that down, become aware of it. So that's the uh, that's the consciousness that I needed to build out then. So yes. that went until probably, and it went. I saw Ted once a week, then once every two weeks, once every four, and then I would have an that's, incident. That's then I would have an incident in two or three weeks. I'd be like, we we went to four weeks way too quickly. We got to go back to two. <laughs> you know? And then I remember going to six weeks, and I remember going uh -huh. to eight, and and then I remember saying, you know. That was right there toward the end of like I'm I've almost got I'm almost off the training wheels, you yeah. know I'm almost off the training yeah. wheels, but I'm still there's oh there's a I, I can't handle a curve I can't handle a curve that sharp at that speed yet I need yeah. to come I need to come back I need some help and so that was that's called maintenance. So then, um, 2020 happened, um, and I was right there. In fact, it was March of 2020 because my birthday is in March, and I remember running into what is one of my my best my best friends when it comes to the interpersonal growth journey. Trump is my, uh, my buddy uh, Grant Berger, who's a real estate agent in the area, but he's truly insightful, and he's and he and I are on a similar journey. He's a oh, wonderful so person. That's great. But he, it was interesting because I the I saw him at the dog park, and I said, "Hey, man, I'm doing." And he'd been keeping he knew what I was going through. And I said, man, I'm in such a great area. I am, I've conquered it. I've conquered uh -oh. it. I've uh -oh. conquered it. I said, uh -oh. um, I, I just, you know, now I'm all about just trying to learn a little bit more. I said, I'm going to go on a search for my ego, right? And this is before I uncovered kind of what I talked about earlier. So I'm going to go on a search for ego. And Grant turned to me and said, Charlie, I think you should look, I think you should tackle trauma first. Yeah. And I said, me? Trauma? Yeah. <laughs> me? <laughs> yeah. And so um, he introduced me to Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score. Okay. But what Ted had done with me is, and I call it um, teaching how to do an internal audit. Right. An internal audit, truly, is being able to see yourself through others' eyes as you see them with the same lack of bias for what their internal processes are. Okay. So to be able to look at yourself through the eyes of another and consciously get rid of your your biases and not and try to get rid of those unconscious biases as you view yourself because it's those biases that are tied to those identities right right oh i'm not an addict doesn't addict is bad and i am not bad right so therefore because i'm not bad i cannot be an addict because addicts are bad right i cannot be these other things because in my mind there's this conscious definition that has these this negative stuff tied to it right and that's really where we get back to compassion Right, compassion is is being able to see those things, but but not attribute, at least in my mind, not attribute those those biases to the definitions, and 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 start backing that away. So you're not a criminal. You're a person that's accused of a crime, but criminal is not a definition. Right, right. At least not not when it comes to the energy or negative or positive to be associated. Exactly, with. exactly. And it, it's so important too that you know we remember that we are human beings. And in being, that's the, you know, be, I always talk about be, do, and have, you know, because a lot of times we, you know, we don't think about, you know, in order to really become, you have to first be. So if I want, let's say if I want to be a millionaire, I have to first get here, then I start walking it out. I got to do something, but I have to first be that here consciously in order for me to process and work, walk through that. 
but a lot of people don't think like that. Right. I agree, you know, but I dissent in part. Okay. And that's that it's dangerous to, to choose to be the identity. Mm. I believe that you need to think about what what's really behind that identity. Right. Because that's really where we run into the damage to the danger, right? Is because those identities are egoic based. I am who I think they think I am. I'm this thing. But really what what actions are what actions does that person right does a person like that do right. that I want to do? And because then we run into the communication that you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, some people believe that that thing is a negative thing versus that thing is a positive thing. Mm-hmm. And so there's all this energy of, of the identity tied to these identities, which is really inherent to the problem. Right. But here's the thing with that, too, is you defining yourself versus you defining me. Right. You know, so if right. I want to be, you know, I have to do. Right. And a lot of times people don't want to do because they don't realize I've allowed you to define me. Right. And my world is defined by what other people think, what other people right. do. And that, that gets us to those psychosis. Right. Yeah. And that, that causes the stress. Yeah. In yeah. life, and when you have that stress in life, they say stress is the underlying mechanism for all physical and psychological traumas. Well, that's really what we're talking about, right? Is the trauma causes the stress? Yes. And then, then the at-rest stress, and so your adverse child event scores, exactly. your um, the shame that's tied to exactly. all those things, raise the stress, raise the stress. And so I think of it as a ten-point scale, right? Mm-hmm. And so your at-rest stress changes, but generally is a, in a, is is located in a particular locus within that ten-point scale. Mm-hmm. People that have trauma or developmental trauma or have something very traumatizing that has happened to them, PTSD. Let's mm-hmm. refer to that one, right? Yeah. Oh, the way I think of PTSD, active active PTSD, is because of that experience, it is actively increasing your at-rest stress level, mm-hmm. no matter how long ago the event it itself happened. Time is irrelevant. And then they talk about the fact that that's when the dissociation happened. And so the timekeeper in your mind forgets where to place that event within the chronology of your life. And so when you're having that flashback, it's as if you were right there there. when that happened. When? Right. Right. And and so then we talk about developmental trauma. It's happening when when they were three, when they watched mother and mom be raped. Six, when they watched older brother get abused. In times of stress, we regress. Right. And so then we hit that. That's when there's small increments of stress that increase. Um, and there's some research that's starting to point that the stress that you're talking about, this regular chronic stress from tra- trauma, yeah. is the actual culprit that creates the autoimmune disorders. It is. You know, whether it's whether it's lupus, whether it is. It, 100%. I mean, think about it. Your body is in a chronic state of producing cortisol. Right. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That that right there is enough. And then your body has to produce fat to absorb the cortisol because I'm producing too much right. at the wrong time. And, and I like the analogy I watched a uh, video. She said, what if, you know, it's one thing to fight the bear in the woods, but what if you have to come home every day to the bear? Right. Right. You know? Yeah. That puts yeah. your body, your mind in a whole different state. Right. And, it, and even, how, at, even at nine o'clock in the morning when I'm sitting at work and I know I got to go home to the bear. So now you come in my office and you want to give me some static, you want to deal with that guy that's thinking about yeah. five o'clock, six yeah. o'clock, what I yeah. have to deal with, you know? Yeah. And and one of the things I like about what I do is I have people to bring these things to consciousness, yeah. awareness, because once it becomes conscious, now you can take control of it. Right. You know, I'm conscious of it. So am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to do this. Well, maybe not take control, you know? but learn how to... You know, I don't control of my behavior, my reaction, my response. Right, but That's even that, but, but even that, 
me being the person that went through it very recently mm -hmm. and still working on it, I, I had to learn about the cognitive, the emotional, and then the bio, and then the physiological to understand that I don't realize when I'm when that emotion is happening. I am so used to it that yeah. it, it is that it's not in my awareness, no. even when I know that it's going to happen. Yes. because my amygdala is picking up, and now my prefrontal cortex, my executive brain function is shut off, and shut so I need. Down. So the thing that I had to learn was that I'm going to feel it in my body. At the, when I have That's the when I have the possibility to to stop the train or right. derail it, I, I the last the last point is when I feel that knot in my gut. Yes, but I need to be present enough to even to be aware. That. And like that, that would, those were the things. It took me two years it to takes, learn. It takes try fail and adjust. Uh, yeah, you know. And yeah. one of the challenges I what I teach when my parenting classes, I say, okay, you need to practice breathing. Right. Because when you breathe, you get oxygen back to the brain and allow the brain to do what it's designed to do. Right. You know, and, and I say, if you call it stress breathing, I'm going to practice my stress breathing. You know, then subconsciously, when you start to stress, you'll go there. Right. But you have to practice it while we're here. Right. And then you can learn tricks, you know, when you listen to books like The Atomic Habit, you can actually build those things into cues right. for good feeling. And so say, right. okay, every time before I'm getting ready to, to pet my dog or to love to kiss my loved one, mm -hmm. I'm going to stress breathe and smile and then I'm going to interact with them. And that way you can create that as the as the cue to start creating that as the response and the reaction. Exactly. And with that also that's where you talked about the neurofeedback. Right. You can do these things yourself, but it takes what? Practice. It right. takes work. But it also takes desire. And desire to have go. change because it's go. not going to be immediate. The, the trauma and all of the habits that created what your life is like right now yes. has taken however long your life is right now to get to where it is for those things to happen. Exactly. And you can't just say, okay, I'm going to put, yes, yeah, right. And, um, and so it does take. Like I said, I when I remember Ted asking me that question, I recognized everything about me, everything that I like and everything that I hate. Right. And everything that I like, right, is all weapons and armor. So if I keep going on this path to shedding off weapons and armor, who's underneath? I don't know. You don't know. Right? And is it sometimes it's sometimes safer to stay in the armor because I think of it as I think in of the it moment. as I think I think of it as um, if you if you learn to survive in the desert, you all the tools, all the skills, you learn to survive in the desert. Then, when you come across by yourself without any other rich farmland or an oasis, mm -hmm. isn't it scary? Because none of the tools and none of the skills that allow you to survive in the desert are necessarily going to be useful here. No. So, and how much time you have to stay away from the desert before you're not going to be able to return back there either. Right. right, and so okay, do I want to risk the rush, rush farmland? Mm -hmm. But I know I can survive out there, and I don't know that I can thrive here or survive. Exactly. I think of um, you were saying something before about kind of getting to know identity and, and getting through unconscious. I can't remember the exact thing. Mm -hmm. I think of it as plum or pendulum, and here's why. So, I wish this were a string; it would work better. Yeah. But but a plum bob was an ancient. Um, construction tool that's still used today it's a essentially it's an upside down sinker or an upside down pyramid usually yeah. very heavy very lead lead and it's not real large and there's a thin string because you don't want something that the wind is going to pick up on because when you hang it from a height it will hang absolutely perpendicular to gravity yes okay and 
I think that that's a better way to describe boundaries for us as individuals, as opposed to something that is keeping someone else out. Mm-hmm. It, the, the idea of a boundary, it, like a fence around my yard, mm-hmm. never worked for me because it did, it did not correlate. What I use is plumber pendulum. Okay. And so if I can think, who is, who is my true self and, or who is it that I want to be or what actions do I want to be? And I can start putting them as beads almost because I want that to hang perpendicular to gravity. Right. And then I think of it when people start to get me to do things that I don't necessarily want done, then I allow myself to be pulled mm-hmm. and allow myself to be pulled and allow myself to be pulled and allow myself to be pulled. Mm-hmm. And eventually the energy pulling me out of alignment with who I want to be mm-hmm. is no longer great enough to hold me there. And it swings back. And I think of it as emotional physics. Right. It swings past plumb yes. to equal the distance it was pulled. Yes. So when people that you love mistreat you, you let them mistreat you because you just think that that's that, that they're gonna that they understand that they're gonna do better, mm-hmm. that they don't want to really want to treat you that way. And you let that happen, you let that happen, you let that happen. Yeah. Eventually, when that energy that they are whatever you think they're eventually gonna figure out or right. eventually gonna change, and when that don't. doesn't happen, whenever that whatever that break point is, in your mind, it yeah. always swings back equal yeah. past plumb. Yes. And, and now you want to get all that stuff back. back. Right, and now you want to make them feel exactly the same way they meant they meant they made you, made you feel because you believe that they deserve the they could try right, and so you swing past. It's it's like it's emotional physics. Yes, and so one thing that we could do, and I think that if we could do better, and if it takes a little bit of this shadow work, a little bit of this trauma work, mm-hmm. to say okay. Where is my true self and what is plumb? Right. When that when you start getting pulled out of plumb, you can start recognizing it sooner. Sooner. And when it breaks, you can put up something to keep it from swinging so far past that you get into this pendulum, and now and now you're you're mistreating right. everybody because you felt all these other people mistreated you. Right. You know. So that's where therapy comes into play. That's where you taking care of yourself comes into play. And the benefit of you taking care of you, everybody wins. Right. That's what people fail to realize. When you fail to grow, everybody pays for that. Not just you. Right. Because you're not being your true self. And when you're your true self, then everybody wins. Because you, I mean, look at all the people you've mentioned here, the books you've talked about. You know, people can take that information and use it for themselves. They can be found on our website, thetraumainformedlaw.com. Um, there's the, the trauma focus, then there's the resources, and many of these books and uh, some fun, they're, they're there and they can be found. Um, and-